The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing this Strange New Worlds episode, Subspace Rhapsody. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Eakin. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Folks, be sure to stick around. We have plenty of listener feedback that we want to share with you. Lots of good stuff that you've sent in. Uh, be sure to follow the Secrets of Star Trek in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on our YouTube channel, where you should also make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. And another show in the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy is The Secrets of Technology. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology. So, Jimmy, can we get a recap of this episode? In this week's Uhura-centric episode, Star Trek does West Side Story. The Enterprise has encountered a natural subspace fold that's manifesting in our universe, and they're trying to figure out how to use it for communication purposes. They try sending music through it, and it creates a quantum improbability field that creates an intruding effect on the local reality so that it works like a Broadway musical. When people are having emotional moments, they burst into song and dance, either individually or in groups. And they start confessing feelings that may not be fully comfortable for everyone once the musical number is over. They try using tech to zip up the subspace field, but it causes the musicality to start spreading to other parts of Starfleet via its communications network. And people on other ships start singing. Then they try, they think about trying to blow it, blow the anomaly up, but they discover that this would destroy the Federation and half the Klingon Empire. And a ticking clock starts because several singing Klingon ships are on their way to blow up the subspace fold. Eventually, Uhura figures out a pattern in how the musical numbers work, and she realizes that if they can turn the singing and dancing up to 11, it will cause the subspace field to short out. So Pike directs Uhura to lead the entire ship in a musical number. It works and everything goes back to normal, at least in the sense of people not spontaneously singing and dancing anymore. But they still have to deal with the emotional fallout of all the difficult things they confessed while singing. The end. All right. Uh, overall impressions of this one, Father Corey. So I am on the side um, that not a fan of this one. Not because it was done badly. It wasn't. It actually was done very, very well. I mean, they fit the the whole idea of it becoming a musical in. It wasn't just like some series have done where just all of a sudden an episode has music. You know, our episodes are musical and that's it. You know, this is they, they actually fit it in with, you know, some, you know, techno babble plot line. And, you know, it, it works as far as that's concerned. And of course, the resolution is the the singing and everybody's together and they're singing and all that. But I'm just not a musical fan. I'm just, I'm really not. I never have been. I've only seen a few music musicals. The only ones I really liked was the uh, Mel Brooks producers, and which is great because it's Mel Brooks and it's the producers. Springtime for Hitler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now we've been banned. Now we've been banned from YouTube because you mentioned a certain name. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, um, mm -hmm. but beyond that, I just, I, 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 I and part of it, 
and we'll talk more about it. They were kind of inconsistent on what would cause people to start singing and dancing. And there's actually one key scene that uh, that would would have been would played into that, you know, would have been some singing, you know, it would have been because of how they they, they express what causes them to break into songs. So I just yeah, I wasn't a fan. It was well done. It's just not my episode. Let's just put it that way. Okay, Jimmy, how about you? Well, for a long time, I was not a fan of musicals either because I'm really about plot and uh, most many musicals have paper thin plots that I don't find interesting at all. Uh, But then I encountered Gilbert and Sullivan and they have some intricate plots. Um, I mean, the Mikado is plot from a plot perspective. It is like a coiled spring. It is very tight. And um, so actually, these days I can enjoy musicals provided they're they're well done. I enjoyed this episode just for the fun, uh, mm-hmm. like I did those old scientists, uh, which was the the lower decks crossover. In both cases, I would have leaned heavier into what they were doing. I would have leaned in, in those old scientists. I would have leaned heavier into the uh, comedy of lower decks. In uh, this one, I would have leaned more heavily into the musical. I would because they they have musical numbers in it, but they also have a lot of dialogue scenes. Mm-hmm. And I would have I would have made everything after the subspace anomaly happens a song. I would have had nothing but songs for the rest of the episode until they resolve the problem. Um, I uh, I did enjoy the music, but I had a few things I would have done differently. Uh, one of the things I had a question about is why they didn't use Klingon opera since they have Klingons in here. And I actually have thoughts about that that we'll, I know we'll talk about later. Um, but given that number one is a fan of Gilbert and Sullivan, and given that she talks about that fact to mm-hmm. James Kirk in this episode in a song, I would have had it be like a Gilbert and Sullivan number. But it's not. The musical style is some kind of contemporary Broadway musical style, which I'm not overly familiar with. Uhura kind of sets things off by broadcasting music from the Great American Songbook into the Subspace Anomaly. And the Great American Songbook isn't sort of loosely defined sort of canon of American 20th century popular music, not rock and roll, not country, but what's what was considered mainstream pop music all the way through the 20th century. Uh, well, at least uh, actually down to like the 60s or 70s, but not rock, not country. That's genre music. This is more mainstream. Um, and specifically, the song she broadcasts is um, uh, Anything Goes. And so so they don't really have a match between the kind of music that Uhura broadcast and the kind of music they're doing. Um, So I would have I would have probably done the music a little differently. I would have done more music and I would have edited the last scene. It's entirely reasonable that they solves a problem with a show-stopping musical number. They need to do that. That makes sense. So I know we're building towards a big final, a big grand finale number, and that's as it should be. But what they do wrong, and, and also given the rules they've set up, now in the final number, 
there's lots of talking about singing and unity and we're all together and all this kind of stuff. And it sounds very Star Trek Discovery. Um, and that can be a little off-putting. But here, I think it works because given the rules of a musical, people do sing when they're emotional and and it getting turning it up to 11 and getting everybody on the same page emotionally to short out the, the singing that actually all makes sense. So I wouldn't mind it. It's distracting, but not because of this. It's distracting because discovery exists. If mm. discovery didn't exist, this would be fine. As far as all the we're singing together, we're the unstoppable crew of the Enterprise. That would have all been fine. What I think is a problem, though, is they make Uhura the linchpin for this final number. Uh, it's fine that she figures out the pattern and says we need to do a big number. But then Pike is like, OK, so there's only one person on the Enterprise who can lead this thing. It's you, the voice of the Enterprise, Uhura. And it's like, no. That's not how Starfleet works. The captain sets the tone of the ship. Mm -hmm. The captain should be the one leading the final number. And the we've got to make it all about Uhura is modern woke nonsense. Um, so I, I would have I would have just changed that. I mean, Uhura can start the song, but it needs to be Pike focused because of the way the captain affects everything. And the final Uhura, you saved us line is just it's cringy. But with that exception, I really enjoyed this episode and uh, and I would have gone even heavier into the music. So for me, um, I know this episode is somewhat divisive among fans. I mean, the people, a lot of people either love it or hate it. I mean, there's people in the middle, but there's, mm -hmm. there's some people, no one was asking for a musical. Well, some of us like the musical one. So, this, so don't, you know, anyway, uh, I don't hide my love for musicals, I especially the older ones, like from the 60s and you know, Music Man, you know, that the golden age of movie musicals. Uh, so I enjoyed this. Um, I, I recognize that this is very much modern Broadway style. All of the music is modern Broadway, uh, which I'm less familiar with. I mean, I know Hamilton, but that's about it. Um, there was a little too much. Uh, it's a musical. They sing because of high emotions. And as you point out, Jimmy, there was, you know, we react because of discovery, but there still was a little too much. Every relationship in this that has come up in this season has came up in this episode and it's like, Oh, can we do something else besides all the relationships? So that was a little much for me. Um, in, in, including a couple of them that were kind of like, I know you're going to have different energy levels, but I'm like, eh, that one did that. That didn't land for me, that particular song. Um, but in general, I really had fun and really enjoyed. And there was a, a literal laugh out loud moment for me in the end. We'll talk about that as we get to it. But um, yeah, that I, I was generally positive to this one. Oh, by the way, one thing I was going to mention, I actually would have introduced musicality into Star Trek a lot earlier. Um, back in the series Enterprise, they had a much more you've got to make your own fun thing since you couldn't just go down to the holodeck. And that's why they had movie night and stuff like that. And I would and they had they even on uh, Next Gen, they had the crew performing plays and stuff. Back when Enterprise was on the air, I thought it would be great if they had an episode that began with um, with uh, the crew or part of the crew performing the Pirates of Penzance with T'Pol in period costume <laughs> singing 
I am the very model of a modern major general. I mean, she would have been perfect for that. <laughs> you know, well, I was going to say, though, I mean, they've had musicality in, in, TOS, in TOS. And yes. you had a hero mm-hmm. who would sit and play and sing and stuff. She sang well, that song to Spock that so. time. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I was going to point out they're they are sinking in to precedent in yeah. in Star Trek because Uhura was musical in the original mm-hmm. series. Charlie X was the episode. Yeah. 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 And she she sang more than one song in that and yep. all and she would hum on other occasions. Also, I did like now you kind of thought they did too much of this, but I did like how this the songs in this episode build on things they've been doing all season. Um, and I liked how because I'm again, I'm about plot and I liked how this episode tied into a lot of elements that they had set up earlier in the season, mm. um, you know, with relationships and things like that. It's like, OK, they're they're paying off this now. And I like that. I like seeing those cross connections between episodes. And in some ways, it felt like a season finale where they were wrapping mm-hmm. all of those threads up. Um, but I, I don't think you could. It's fun. You can't end the season on a a, a comedy musical episode. Yeah, you, you, that wouldn't that wouldn't work, I don't think. Oh, one of the things I also liked is an original series callback because they have Uhura waiting on a message about another fellowship she's applied for with Dr. Roger Corby. Chapel. Uh, Dr. Chapel. What did yep. I say? Uhura. Oh, sorry. It, yep. Yeah, no. Chapel is waiting on this. Have I has Dr. Roger Corby approved my fellowship, which is another rare fellowship in xenoarchaeology she's applying for. And, or archaeological medicine. And we know where that goes because that's yep. the basis for the episode, What Are Little Girls Made Of? So she's going to go off for this three-month fellowship between seasons, presumably. Mm-hmm. And either at the end of that or at some point in the future, she's going to fall in love with Roger Corby and they're going to get engaged. Although right. I hope they don't do that initially. I hope this is just her first meeting with Roger Corby and she still will have some romance with Spock until like maybe we get to the last season of it, of Strange New Worlds. I, I kind of get the feeling they're kind of cutting the Spock plot line short. They're done. I mean, and yeah. part of part of the her whole thing when she finds out she gets it and they have the whole song and dance number where she's, you know, I'm she, ready. She, yeah. I'm ready. I'm going to go do this, you know, and she pretty much Spock's done. Well, yeah. They, I, it's it's written so that it certainly could be that. But I, having having watched soap operas when I was in college, they can go back and forth. Relationships yeah. can seem definitively over and then they come back. It's like <laughs> well, it's like it, the serial killer at the end of a slasher flick. I know that they, they're not rigidly adhering to timeline stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, according to the original series, they the the we see him in Corby in twenty two sixty one. This takes place in twenty two fifty nine. There's not a whole lot of time for them to get engaged. So I'm thinking this is it. This is the yeah. She's going to go for that three months with him and fall in love with him and and that turns Spock the night even the more picture. on Spock because like three months like she's engaged. Like with this, she's like I don't know. And then three months, <laughs> throw him overboard and she's with Corby. So I don't know. Um, you know we we bring in. Kirk again in this episode. There is that there's a little controversy I saw, you know, not controversy. There's some people complaining that Kirk's showing up too much in a Pike Captain Captain Pike Enterprise that uh, you know, they're trying to do something too TOSy with this. Do you think Kirk is too much or yeah, he's been here. He, this is only his he's been in the show four times now mm-hmm. out of two seasons. 
And the first two of those weren't even in this timeline. So this is his second appearance. It's it, it it's proximate to his first appearance in this timeline. It's the very next episode. And they're doing something logical because they've said he's been promoted to first officer of the Farragut, but he, he before he assumes that office, they're letting him shadow number one for a week, mm-hmm. you know, to learn from a first officer how to do this. And and that makes sense. That's fine. He's going to go off and be first officer of the Farragut. Yeah. What's with the Enterprise's uh, really janky computer that can't handle, you know, calculating things and routing calls? Like, because we start with Uhura having to manually route all the calls through the switchboard. Like a switchboard operator. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. I just thought thought that was kind of a funny little gimmick that they've added. They're trying to to throw this super. Well, and they were it was dealing with the communication system. So that's I think that's why they're trying to. Sure. But yeah, it was just her doing the, you know, please stand by and changing, you know, <laughs> which in some ways it's kind of a, a callback to the original series where some people said that Uhura, her whole role, in fact, it might even be Michelle Nichols comp, uh, complaint initially is that her she was just a glorified switchboard operator. Right. Um, yeah. And frankly, in the 23rd century, a computer could do what she does. You don't <laughs> right. you, you don't need her job. If I can if I can say to my Alexa device, drop in on this person and it calls that person. What do I need a switchboard operator for? Right. Yeah. Right. So, uh, meanwhile, Lon is still acting girlish around Kirk at this, at the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, uh, Una has noticed, uh, she's, she's figured out, figure something's going on. And so, uh, that's where we get, Laon get has several songs. She's first. She treats this whole singing thing as a security threat, which it kind of is because people yeah, are yeah. are revealing things that they that they want to keep secret. But uh, she's also threatened by the and, fact and, that and, at any moment she could start singing her feelings for Kirk. And she knows that's not supposed to happen because of the timeline. Yes. And and that is a legitimate concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and she eventually handles it by talking to him when she's not that emotional and she's able to phrase it very delicately so that she doesn't upset the timeline. Right. And and that's reasonable. There's also a great moment where we see the threat because you've got Captain Battelle and Captain Pike are singing over the inter, uh, over the view screen at each other and they start getting really personal. And <laughs> this is an about conflict in their relationship. It was funny. And and Laon saves the day by unplugging the phone on them so they stop singing before they go any further and that's a great moment and it shows the threat that that's real here yeah he even ended up on a knee before she cut him off which was yeah yeah he gets down on a knee and puts his hand over his heart and he's about to deliver some really painful news to her and then click we're not in the phone call anymore yeah well that's that that scene between laon and kirk is the one that i thought that they didn't play well because that it it was a very emotional scene and it was played emotionally by both of them right and yet neither started seeing yeah you know that it because i laon didn't i i didn't feel like she played it unemotionally at all i i felt like it was something that was very painful for her but she didn't break into song at that point they didn't start singing yeah. about it and her which by the way we have mentioned here of carol carol marcus marcus yeah carol marcus and that mm-hmm. she's pregnant uh, and that was that was kind of a somebody Dom yeah kind of caused a controversy on Discord about it. no that uh, 
she that Kirk didn't know, but actually, you uh, as we kind of discussed it in yeah. uh, uh, Wrath of Khan, he did say he knew and, and that she asked him to stay away. He and so away. he did. Right, right. That's so right. he knew about David, but he stayed away because she she wanted to focus on her career and on he, on David yeah. and didn't need this fly by night captain. It's David who didn't know that David. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I like Blonde's, you know, solo self revelatory songs were my least favorite. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know you're going to have those sorts of songs, but I, I just they they didn't land for me. They they felt a little too downer in this up, you know, yeah. energy level thing. They just weren't fun. I, I didn't have a problem with them. I thought they were OK. I thought you might have cut one of them. But I didn't have a problem with them in principle. Yeah, they were just they were kind of you know the eighties teenage breakup songs type. <laughs> Taylor Swiftie. Oh, <laughs> I would I would point out that there are scenes in musicals. I, we may be reading the rules they articulated a little more stringently than we should because if you if you actually watch musicals, there are moments where people have intensely emotional scenes where they're not singing. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to break out every time there's an intense emotion. And, um, you know, there are loads of them where someone says something and someone else throws their hand across their face and runs off stage crying and stuff like that. You do have mm-hmm. moments of intense emotion that aren't song. They don't articulate it that way on in this episode but that may be, be because they don't want to give us too much lecturing about how musicals work. They're assuming we'll kind of go with it if mm-hmm. especially if you've seen other musicals mm-hmm. so the the whole thing starts because they're trying to communicate through this subspace fold which if they figure out how to do it it will revolutionize communications uh throughout the quadrant somehow um hand wavy and uh it's pelia who suggests sending music through it yep. mm-hmm. uh, because the laws fan- of physics are different in subspace my fan theory is Pelion is being thousands of years old, has seen this happen before, and she <laughs> wanted it to happen again. And Pelion set this whole thing up. <laughs> so uh, the song they do send into it is Anything Goes, which I forget what that's from, but uh, it, I always, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, from the early 20th century. Yeah. It was in a play, though, wasn't it? Uh, I, I, I remember from the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, of course, that's the opening song in that, in that one. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's um, and of course, when they sing the first song about, you know, all system stable, st- you know, it's called status report on the soundtrack, which mm-hmm. you can get on Apple Music, by the way. Um, and it's Pike's expression. That's one of the moments where I kind of I, I kind of laughed out loud because he just mm-hmm. has this bewildered, like, what yeah. the heck is going on? Yeah. Expression. And, and as and they're like checking in with everybody and everyone saying all systems stable. And he's like, but why are we singing? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And then uh, we get the opening credits after that, which like with the, the lower decks crossover, they changed up and they gave us an acapella choir singing it instead of an orchestra, which was really good. I really liked that. That was, that was, that was really nicely done. I like a scene er early on where they're talking about it and Pelia notice mm-hmm. who it is, yeah. explains that this is a musical reality intruding to our own. 
And I forget who it is. It may be La'an or someone, but says, you know, so like what? We could just turn into bunnies or something. And Mbenga says, I would prefer not to be bunnies either. And yes. Spock says, yeah. I doubt we will be bunnies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, well, I, I like, I, I like uh, Mbenga even before that. It's like, I don't sing. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't like to sing. So <laughs> apparently the bunnies uh, line is uh, might be an homage to the famous Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical episode, which was similar in which a musical reality caused them all to start singing. And one of the characters was singing that the cause might be bunnies. And it was kind of a funny <laughs> moment. But uh, so I, I feel like that might be it. Um, another point, Spock, uh, when they're talking about why people sing, Spock says sailors use song to help them sing together, which totally reminded um, me of Star Trek five. Row, row, row your boat. Which, oh, yeah. There's something else, though, that I think it's a reference to. They they talk about um, uh, Laan, I think it is, says she's going to she's going to confess this when she's about her her feelings about Kirk when she's not that emotional and it won't yes. come out like a 17th century sea shanty. I would love that. <laughs> and what that's a what that's a reference to, if I'm not mistaken, is the fact that during covid sea shanties became all the rage oh, yeah. on on either TikTok, TikTok or Instagram or something like mm -hmm. that yeah. where you'd have all these all these millennials and post millennials doing sea shanties the wellerman um, song in fact which was the the one that got it all started yeah mm -hmm. yeah that, I, I i wondered if that one might have been it i would have loved to have heard a sea shanty that would have been fun too um so uh, we get a reference that uh, Admiral April has called in and is uh, said he has a surprisingly beautiful baritone, which I think <laughs> is a good line. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, and, and then uh, Una talks about her Gilbert and Sullivan fandom, which came out in the Short Treks episode uh, where we had mm -hmm. her and Spock stuck in the turbo lift. And uh, that she starts singing to Kirk. They even dance in the corridor and um, mm -hmm. La'an sees them and her her jealousy leads her to sing in her alone in her quarters about it. That's that revelatory self-revelatory song. Um, so Uhura comes up with a theory that this musical reality, this improbability field requires them to follow the rules of musicals, including characters singing when their emotions are so heightened that words won't suffice. So that's, that comes from Uhura. And um, she sings to Una sings to La'an this song that she's too good at keeping secrets. And I was wondering, is she telling Laon to tell, is this her telling Laon to tell Kirk how she feels? Yes. Like, okay. I, I wasn't yep. sure if that was exactly what it is. Um, they also do an interesting effect in this. They have a zero G effect where they float off the floor. Yeah. As, yeah. And as part of the choreography. And you do actually see things like that in musicals sometimes where they have the the performers doing wire work, where they're being mm -hmm. suspended by wires to be able to dance in ways that you can't otherwise do. Mm. Um, here they did it with an explanation of someone's fiddling with the gravity system as right. they're singing this. And so, and, but the actors actually did wire work and then they CGI'd out the wires. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, we find out around the, this point that uh, the, 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 the thing is spreading and it's spreading into uh the you know Klingon space and they said don't contact the Klingons because we the last thing anyone wants is singing Klingons and it turns out that's not true actually by the end of this episode <laughs> I will say no that was I really wanted that but we do get uh, Klingon General Garkog on screen and Cargon. played by 
Bruce he- Bruce um, Horak Horak Hemmer. Hammer, um, yeah, he's back again. Yay. It was awesome. Very I read brief I said, scene, but he looks really familiar. Who is playing uh playing it? Um and I didn't realize it was Hor- Bruce Horak, so that was fun to see to see him get, get in there again. I, I learned also and his, the Klingon general he's playing has an eye patch. And yep. I was just and so like Hammer was blind and the, this general has a vision problem too. I was interested to learn that Bruce Horak himself is legally blind. Yeah. Oh, no, he's yeah, like, that was he, he's thing. like lost 90 percent of his vision. Yeah, yeah I mean, that some, was yeah, like a illness and he, it just deteriorated his, his vision deteriorated. Right. That was like in the before the first season, they talked about, you know, a blind uh, person playing a blind character. Hammer was, you know, it was a was blind, a yeah. blind. Well, I know that I know that representation of that sort is all the rage today. Personally, I don't care about it. I I thought he did fine. I, I'm <laughs> actually sorry he's actually blind, but he's doing right. a great job in spite of it. That's right. So we do have that scene where Laon Le- reveals her feelings for Kirk. And uh, I have to say, Paul Wesley does the Kirk smolder at least as well as Shatner does. Like there's a moment at the beginning of that where he kind of looks at her and I'm like, wow, like he's got that. Like that is a very Shatner Kirk thing going on in that expression. It's not exactly the same thing, but it has the same character energy. Mm-hmm. So I thought Paul Wesley's really coming along. I yeah. I, yeah, I he continues to grow on me as well. What I don't find as plausible about it is I just don't find Laon that attractive. The way she, especially particularly because the way she does her hair, yeah, it's weird. Um, <laughs> I, she, as a as a person, she's fine, and I, as a character, she's interesting. But I don't find her sexy. Um, she's got this severe haircut that it looks like her hair is wound tight. And um, I mean, even Ortegas now, Ortegas has a weird haircut too. But I don't mind her her sort of weird mohawk where she saved the sides. I mean, I could see how someone could find that attractive, but Laon's haircut looks painful to me mm. and I don't find it attractive. Well, it, it's, it's meant to be, you know, the, the no nonsense security person, you know, basically the, basically the female version of like a high and tight, you yeah. know, something that's no maintenance, just pull it back and tie it off and done. Yeah. She, is she Kirk's type? Well, she's a, Female. So. Well, everyone is Kirk's type. I was going to say, <laughs> well, she, she's not a green alien, so she's not Orion. No. <laughs> exactly. Or gold or, you know, it's, all the other ones. It's, <laughs> it's like that internet meme where you have three Greek statues and um, it and you've got Zeus and Hera and and Zeus is looking back at a third statue yeah. and yeah. it says literally anybody else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we, we get... Uh, Chapel's song, I'm Ready, where it's basically a breakup song for Spock, mm-hmm. who basically has to stand there in this in the lounge area, uh, what would be 10 forward in TNG, uh, which I really like this bar, actually. Uh, but mm-hmm. he has to stand there emotionless and motionless as this song goes around him. And it's it felt really heartless in a way. It was it was really. Yeah, it was. She was. Wow. Yeah, she was almost cruel. Yeah, mm-hmm. cruel. It's word. like. It's just like, I don't care about you anymore. I want to do I'm. this is what I've wanted more than anything else in the world. And so forget you. I'm gone. Yeah. And it it does not portray Chapel in a flattering light, but no. it's, I think it's in a good and effective song. And then yeah. Spock has a follow up song in engineering where he and it does. It's not obvious from the beginning of the song, 
But I said to myself, they're going in a mathematical direction with this. And mm-hmm. he, the song is I'm the X. And he's, mm-hmm. and, and, and he's talking about, and initially X is like, I'm the X as an ex-boyfriend. Right. Yep. But I said, this is Spock. They're going mathematical here. And they, as when the next time they come around to that line, it's clear from context. It's like in algebra, you solve for X. I'm the X. Yeah. And in fact, in one way, he's also like the X factor as a hybrid, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. human Vulcan hybrid. It's sort of the he's the unknown. There's something, you know, he's he, he doesn't fit in, I think, is kind of where they were going with that as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it had well, worked and, on I several wonder, layers. Yeah. And I wonder if, too, if this is going to be where they're going to kind of pull back his emotions again. I think so. Like, yeah. Because even the way the song goes, where it fades out of song into speech at the end. Yes. Kind of showing that again, going from the emotional where he gets control of his emotions again. And that's it. It's done. Before the singing stops, there are a couple of really nice lines. Um, At one point in the final, in the grand finale number, they're singing about our prime directive as you know, we're, we're on mission, protecting the mission. That's our prime directive. And Spock is like, not really. (laughs) (laughs) There's, there's another moment where you've got like a line of, four characters, one of them Spock, and they're all saying, singing, we will miss the singing, and Spock is, I won't miss the singing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, well, let's talk about that song, because, because this is the, the, they have to sing this song to amp up the whatever energy, the, yeah. and, oh, and, and break things. By, and by the way, as part of the setup for doing this number, uh, Uhura points out, song is powerful, people worship with song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was it. nice to see acknowledgement of religious reality in this series. Yep. So, uh, and, and to, to bring up the point you made, which is like Pike says that only Uhura can inspire the whole crew to sing. And I'm like, yeah. the captain would be the one who stirs the emotions of the crew, who gives the inspiring speech before yeah. whatever. Well, the captain and, is the voice of the Enterprise or is the voice of the ship. Yeah. In, in a way, I, I think this was, you know, part of this trying to develop a her into the character that we know from TOS. I mean, it really, cause yeah. you know, and they called that out on TOS, the episode TOS, those old scientists where she wasn't the carefree. I mean, you know, good, good you know, worker, well, you know, intelligent, knowledgeable and all this stuff, but she could get relaxed. Well, she wasn't, she isn't that character, you right. know, and they're, they're kind of moving the towards it. So I think that's part of what this is. It's possible. You know, yeah. I think I think it's also agenda driven. Um, I th- and it's not the only even though this is nowhere near as bad as discovery, it is not unaffected by contemporary Hollywood sensibilities. Um, one of the things that I've noticed, particularly in this season, is they are deliberately deemphasizing male characters. If you if you think about so who are the who are the male and female characters on this show in terms of regulars? Pike. Spock and Mbenga. Those are the only three male characters. Everybody else is a woman. Number one is a woman. Pelia is a woman. Laan is a woman. Uhura is a woman. Ortegas is a woman. Chapel is a woman. And even their their new navigator, who's in a bunch of episode, uh, Mitchell, she's a woman. That's seven regular women to three regular men. Mm. And so this is this there is a deliberate let's 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 get away from males and and all and 
de-emphasize that and empower women. And that and that's why they go to Uhura as you're the only one who can do this, even though it makes no sense. Right. And, and, and this is not a sex yeah. thing. It's a captain thing. If this was Voyager, Janeway should lead the number. Man, could you imagine a musical Voyager? That would be interesting. <laughs> They'd stand around the consoles at the end and sing. And sing, and sing. yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, my favorite part of this episode, my very, very favorite part, was when the Klingons came on the screen mm-hmm. and were singing a boy band number with the choreography with Batless behind. Yep. I I laughed out loud, paused it because I was yeah. laughing. It was mm-hmm. so funny it was uh, well there was even like a zoom out and everything (laughs) where it's just captain and then it zooms out to the rest of the crew that was so i and and then you had uh, a later bit where the uh, the the klingon cruisers are pirouetting around an enterprise that's spinning in space in a choreography dance number yeah oh my gosh that was so i mean yes it doesn't make logical sense in the world that we live in or the world that we presume star trek to normally be but But it does in a musical yes it's fun it's fun (laughs) Um, I know I know we have feedback on this, but yes, that should have been Klingon opera. Well, <laughs> that absolutely should have been. I'm going to take it. I'm going to take a different point to that, but I'll bring it up when the, when we get the feedback uh, yeah. on that. But um, and then we have uh, Uhura at, at the end after everything has been finished. Uhura is at her console doing like Michelle Nichols would do with Uhura, humming to herself, singing to herself. And everyone kind of looks at her like, oh, no, are we still in the problem? She's like. Earworm, sorry, earworm, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was like the closing number. She was humming it again. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So that was that was great. Also, we get a nice scene in the wrap up where Spock is staggering back onto the Enterprise bridge drunk, and Uhura <laughs> in voiceover is informing us that he's done a little bit of diplomacy with the Klingons. <laughs> That's right. That is right. <laughs> uh, and then we get a. Uh, a bit of like end credit medley stuff, which mm-hmm. is, which was nice the, mm-hmm. over the credits. That was that was nice too. Kind of like the overture in a in a musical. Only this is not the overture; it's the inditure. Yes, yes. So, uh, anything else uh, you wanted to mention there, Father Corey? The only thing is, you know, because this was kind of a wrap up for a lot of the season, a mm-hmm. lot of the threads that they kind of set during the season. They kind of wrapped up with this. So, I'm interested to see what they're going to do with the final episode because they're usually final episodes are kind of a wrap-up of a season um but they've kind attack. of done a lot of, yeah 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 that's kind it's of what they Gemini, do but, so yeah yeah so i mean but it's but it's just interesting that they took all these little threads and they were i mean and, and again for my complaint against it being musical because i'm not a musical fan they did a great job i think in in as a whole in bringing a lot of these threads especially the more emotional ones and kind of wrapping them Mm-hmm. wrapping them up so that they're not having to deal with them in this next episode, which if it is a Gorn attack is going to be a much heavier action Heavy, episode yeah, you where you don't want to do the, dis- you don't want to do the discovery. Hey, we're in the middle of battle and it's red alert. Let's spend five minutes talking about our feelings for each other. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. please don't. <laughs> I, I, I'm sympathetic, you know, cause I didn't used to like musicals either. It wasn't until I found good ones that I, it's like, okay, now I get what the, appeal is to these um you should try watching some of the best gilbert and sullivan's like the mikado or the pirates of penzance or something those are really awesome Mm. um in terms of my notes let's see i like that they heard the music cues that initiated songs yeah and Mm -hmm. they're the first time it happens is like where is that coming from and nowhere on this ship um so i like that i thought that i liked in my notes in the emotional meaning to a lot of the songs that built up over the season. 
So if you hadn't seen the previous episodes in the season, the songs wouldn't mean as much. So I liked that it tied together previous elements of the season. And I thought it was good to have it in next to last position because it does sum up a lot of the emotional content we've been building in this season. But it's not the last episode, which allows us to have the big explosive finale we're going to get next week. Also, I like that uh, Captain Battelle finally gets a first name. After being <laughs> Captain Battelle for two seasons, we learn her first name is Marie. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. All right. Excellent. So that's it for Subspace Rhapsody. Let's uh, go to our feedback. Uh, like we said, we have some feedback on Subspace Rhapsody, but first we have feedback from number 272, Those Old Scientists. And the first one comes from Kelly via YouTube, who writes, I was surprised how much I enjoyed this episode. I love Lower Decks, but I was afraid that bringing the characters of that show into live Trek would be too silly. I was pleasantly surprised how well this was executed. It was a very fun episode and one I will probably revisit in the future. I loved seeing Boimler especially. He even did that weird run of his and he did that (laughs) weird walk that he said in a Lower Decks episode was something Section 31 does. (laughs) I'll have to rewatch that because I don't remember that. (laughs) Uh, Our next one comes from Francisco, Mormon, Druid, Yalian, Disney kid. That's his username on YouTube. Mm. Wait, but it was Kirk's Enterprise that encountered Trelane. Oops, that was a great episode and your commentary was good. Yeah, I noticed that they're blurring what the TOS era is really, but they do that just by the title. Yeah. yeah. They're considering this those old scientists. It doesn't have to be exactly Star Trek, the original series, period. Um, and within that context, it would fit. If you consider the those old scientists period as mid 23rd century, yeah. then it fits. But well, I noticed I, the same writing issue. Well, I, I think that's that's kind of, that's actually kind of a call out to like we might talk about the next generation era mm-hmm. of yeah. Star Trek. And that's DS9, Voyager and TNG. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I, so this yeah. could be the TOS era, even if it's not the TOS series. I chalked it up to, you know, sometime around this period, they were talking to Trelane, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I chalked it up to the MST3K mantra. It's really just a show. I should really just relax. Exactly. <laughs> Our next email comes from Father Jason Tyler via email, who uh, mm-hmm. writes, I really enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for putting it out every week. Going into Subspace Rhapsody, I must say I had rather low expectations, but the episode proved much better than I imagined it would be. In the end, I was glad to see Star Trek venture into this area of culture, as Trek has done with so many other areas of culture or literature, Shakespeare, Beowulf, and Sherlock Holmes, to just name a few. As a Catholic priest, perhaps I should be disappointed that an episode full of music featured no Gregorian chant. As a Trekkie, though, my greatest disappointment was that in a musical episode featuring Klingons, we didn't get any Klingon opera. Any thoughts on why the writers didn't have the Klingon singing opera music, considering the various references to Klingon opera over the years? Yes, two thoughts. And first off, I want to give a shout out to Father Tyler because he's my pastor. Um, you know, I just moved back to my hometown in Arkansas and I, I he's he's my new pastor. And I even go to the Gregorian man, the Gregorian chant mass. Um, so uh, so I know he has an appreciation for that. Um, and it's great to hear from him. In terms of why I think they didn't do Klingon opera, because that was my first thought, too. As soon as we saw Klingons, it's like, oh, are we going to get Klingon opera? Well, um, I think I think that they that they chose not to for actually I would say three reasons. Number one, we've heard Klingon opera before, so it wouldn't be 
groundbreaking for us. Second, it doesn't fit the musical style they're using here, um, which is contemporary, um, uh, you know, contemporary Broadway musical. Um, And I think that's probably one of the dominant factors, the non-diegetic factors, is they're doing modern um, modern Broadway musical style numbers, and Klingon opera doesn't sound anything like that. It's loud, it's bombastic, it's atonal, it's it's dissonant, it's it doesn't fit with the music they're, they're trying to do in this episode. So those are two non-diegetic reasons. Is there a diegetic or in-story reason? Yeah, I think so. The Klingons refer to the subspace fold as the source of our humiliation. So they and they need them to feel humiliated so that they'll be motivated to come and destroy the thing. But if they were singing their own revered musical tradition Klingon opera, they wouldn't feel humiliated. Whereas if they're singing like a 21st century boy band when they're fearsome warriors, they would totally feel humiliated. So I think that's the end story reason. Yeah. It's they they broadcast American musical content into the fold and that's what's coming out i think yeah the, yeah <laughs> I, I i would still like to have seen him work something in maybe like when they first the Cleons first hail them and where he's he's fighting the captain fighting to just keep speaking instead of singing and then he fails <laughs> if instead that would have been that would have been you know started with playing on opera and he's fighting to try to keep it playing on opera instead or something like that you know <laughs> So uh, we've got another email from Chris S. who uh, writes, this is a more general email. I finally suffered through all of season four of Discovery and very much agreed with your analysis. Recently, my 14-year-old and I began watching Deep Space Nine together. I've seen it numerous times, but he's only seen sporadic episodes. We began with the season two finale and have been watching it sequentially and enjoying nearly episode. episode. There's a moment at the end of one episode that, for me, perfectly illustrates the difference between a great Star Trek show and a not so great one. I uh, know he says spoilers for the episode Second Skin. We're all about spoilers in this one, so don't worry about that <laughs> when you write in. Yeah. The episode we're beyond spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're a review show. This is spoiler territory. Yes. So uh, Second Skin in the episode in which Kira wakes up to find she's a Cardassian. The twist in this episode is that Kira is merely a pawn in an effort by the Obsidian Order to entrap a progressive Cardassian leader who believes Kira is his daughter. In the she's episode, really not, but she's been altered to look like a Cardassian. Right. In this episode's final scene, Kira tells her Cardassian father that he's an honorable man and that his real daughter must love him very much. It's an emotional, powerful moment generated by a mere line or two of dialogue. And yet it's more powerful than 99% of the earnest yet unearned speeches we get from Michael Burnham and the Discovery crew. Yep. I, and, uh, right on target there. That's that's exactly the complaint. Mm-hmm. And and this episode is not the only one that has similar kind of emotional content for Kira. In fact, if you started with the, I understand the choice to start with the second season finale because that this show starts to get a lot better there um, in a cohesive way. There is kind of hit mm-hmm. and miss before that. But if you go back to, I believe it's the first season of Deep, Deep Space Nine and watch the episode Duet, um, it's it, where which pits Kira with a Cardassian war criminal. It's really good mm-hmm. and very emotionally powerful. Yes. Uh, Chris goes on to say, I enjoyed the first two seasons of Discovery. Unfortunately, the show took a left turn, eliminated both of the best characters and all of the conflict. Uh, the best characters being the ones who showed up in Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I won't be watching season five. 
Thankfully, we have Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, and Deep Space Nine reruns. So for Star Trek principles, we've got Growing the Beard, which of course is you know when TNG got good, and we've got Going to the Future, which is when Discovery went bad. So <laughs> don't go to the future. And Grow Discovery the wasn't too great before that. Was, <laughs> yeah. Well, we got Strange New Worlds out of season two, so yeah. it wasn't that bad. Yeah. And uh, I, I will say, um, Father Father Corey and I watch them, so you won't have to. So we will watch yeah. season five and review it. And oh, and I forgot to mention uh, with Father Tyler's comment mm-hmm. that uh, yes, I agree with. We, we we needed some Gregorian chant somewhere. Sure. I agree. <laughs> As a fellow priest. Yes. All right. Uh, that does it for all that feedback. And so we want to now take a moment to thank our patrons and make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Katie K, Andrew W, Simon M, Sean D and Ronald P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of Subspace Rhapsody? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media. send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord, Comment and watch the show uh, on in video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media, And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Strange New Worlds, which is also the season finale called Hegemony. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aitken, thank you as well. Thank you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, all systems stable, but why are we singing? Why are we singing?